Hey, I'm Ryan. I've managed products at innovative companies like Weebly and Verb, and now I run my own. Each episode, I talk with product managers at some of the most successful companies in the world to learn how they do customer research, gather insights, and make the product decisions for both their customers and company. You'll get real world advice on how to ship products people want and love. Now let's get into people-driven products. Welcome, Clara. Thanks so much for joining us today. Could you start us off by sharing what led you to WISE and what it's like working there? Hi, Ryan. Thank you for having me today. So what has brought me to WISE? I started my career originally in marketing. And eventually I thought, oh, I want to be more involved on how do you build products? Rather, how do you sell them? Today, I realized those things go hand in hand. But at the time, it felt like two completely separate worlds. Then I transitioned. I got my first product job working in Internet of Things worked in that area for some years. And the reason why I moved to WISE was because I'm, I was a customer and I absolutely loved the product. And this happens a lot to people who apply to jobs with us. They start out as customers. It's not a requirement to join, but it's something that naturally happens. A lot of people who apply, they started off as customers. And I could tell, like the product is great. I could really tell that they were really, really customer-centric. And that really sparked my interest. It's great to see you're from a marketing background. I'm curious, do you see yourself really utilizing any of the marketing skill sets that you've learned in your day-to-day role as a product manager? Definitely. So right now I am a product manager for the business growth team at WISE. So I look after our, our business customers and being in a growth team. Yeah, it goes hand in hand. It definitely my marketing background is very, very useful now. So now I've gone full circle and I can see that those things complement each other and they really go really well together. You have to understand users far more, I think, than as a product manager, as a marketer, because with marketing, you really need to understand what users are thinking and what their feelings are and their emotions are for them to click your ad. And you're constantly A-B testing. And I think product managers, sometimes we get away with too much intuition, perhaps, and not really understanding our customers because maybe they're already committed to our product or they're already a subscriber. And so we can see how that empathy from the marketing perhaps contributed to where you are today as a product manager. Definitely. And then we have to develop this skill of listening to people and listening to what they say and to what they actually mean behind it. Like what is actually leading people to believe that banks are more secure, for example? Is it because they can go to a branch and physically talk to someone? Is it because they just learned how to trust the bank? So understanding things like that is super, super interesting. Well, let's dig into that to start to your user research process at WISE and how you think about user research as a product manager. How much do user insights play into your product decisions? We are extremely customer-centric. One of our main values as a company, and we had this painted on the walls in the office, one of our values was customer greater than team, greater than ego. And we really, really follow that. So everything we do, we start by asking what customer problem are we solving? And we are very good at getting the problem definition really well. So everything we do, we talk to people, we understand what the problem is. We we look at the data. We know how big of a problem it is. We know how it's impacting our customers' lives. We validate when we start building something, we put it in front of people earlier on, get their feedback. Is it solving your problem? Is it not? Is it what you expected? Is it not? We involve customers throughout the whole end-to-end product development journey. 
And I think that's why we've got where we are and we got like a super, super high NPS and people really like to use us. And I think it's because we hire for people that are super customer centric. We instigate people to always, always, always talk to customers. And it's certainly, if you're looking for in the hiring process, I'm sure that your team is very customer centric. And I'm excited to dig in a little bit more about how you think around building customer centricity, but help us understand some of the ways that you integrate user research into the feature development lifecycle at WISE and some of the techniques that you found most impactful. Okay, so if you go a little bit more into detail how I typically approach a a new feature development or a new product development, I could start, for instance, looking at NPS data or looking at conversion funnels, quantitative data in product to see, is there any part of the flow that has a bigger drop-off, for instance? Or is there, is there any cohort that are struggling a bit more to convert or are taking longer to convert or not adopting parts of the product that other cohorts are adopting? So I might start with this desk research per se, and we say, okay, there's something in this area. Let's, let's talk to people. So I've done this before. Like we saw a lot of NPS comments about a certain topic. We contacted those customers, got them on the phone, like what exactly is the problem, trying to understand a bit better. We might do a follow-up survey to get more quantitative data or qualitative data if we feel it's going to help us size the issue, if we feel it's going to help us understand what the actual problem is. We could decide, okay, this is worth investing, let's prioritize this. We go to the drawing board, figure out how we might solve for it in product. Again, put it in front of customers, do user testing, get people to interact with prototypes, to play around with our solution, see if they can understand it, see if it makes sense, see if it really solves the problem. Every time we come up with a release strategy, we again, we try to be really smart about it. Do we get a group of beta testers to help us test this thing? Doing QA is quite challenging because we might do something and then it doesn't really work if you're trying to send money from INR to Japan. That's tough to QA, but if you put it in front of people, it's like, oh, you've asked for this feature. Do you want to help us test it? People usually get super excited about it and they need the feature, right? So they, yeah, of course, we give them the feature, they, they help us test it. They give early feedback. We can iron out any kinks before, before we start releasing it to everyone. So we use data and we use customer research throughout the whole process. Certainly a highlight and focus of the podcast here, People Powered Products. And it sounds like at WISE, you're certainly implementing that to the fullest extent, which is great to hear. And I wanted to unpack a little bit more on the problem statement. And you mentioned that perhaps you find a issue and you talk to some customers and you want that really clear problem statement. Can you provide maybe a hypothetical or actual example of a past product that you worked on or issue that you uncovered so we can really concretely understand an example of a problem statement? I joined WISE about two years ago. When I joined, we already had an integration with Zero, which is an accounting software. And a lot of customers were asking for integration with QuickBooks, which is another accounting software. It's very, very popular in the US. First thing we needed to understand, when people, they just asked on NPS, integrate with QuickBooks. There are thousands of ways you can work with QuickBooks. We can do like a simple sharing the transactions that you did in your WISE account to your QuickBooks so you can do your accounting reconciliation there, or we can do something more complex, like pay invoices that are on QuickBooks using your, your WISE account seamlessly. So what type of integrations were people asking for and where should we start? We saw that they wanted many, many types of integrations. The one we prioritize and the one we have delivered is the bank feed integration. So we, we had to understand first, why do they want this? What problem are we solving? And the need of the business is to make sure 
either the accountant or the business owner, they need to make sure that the money leaving the account is the same money as the money spent by the business. So we need they need to match, if I pay an invoice, that this money left my account and nothing more. Once we understood that, we realized, okay, so they need to match it to invoice. But we have a particularity that other regular banks, same currency banks wouldn't have. We're not a bank, by the way, just to make it very clear. But if your same currency provider would not have, which is if you're paying an, an invoice in US dollars and you're using an account in US dollars, the invoice is $100, $100 leaves your account. Everything's perfect. Everything matches. If you're paying an invoice of $100 using a, an account in euros, that $100 invoice might cost you maybe, I don't know, 80 euros leave your account. But the 80 euros that left your account, 75 were used to pay for that invoice. And the other five was the fee that you paid to WISE for the currency conversion. So you had to pass both of these transactions to QuickBooks. So the number, the value of the invoice matched the value leaving your account. And then the fee that you paid to WISE matched the remaining of the money. Those are all fictional values, by the way. I didn't check the current conversion rate between USD and euros. But this is something that is quite particular to an international account. So it was really important for us to understand how do people do accounting reconciliation? What level of information do they need? And when we were developing it, I reached out to a couple of customers who had asked for this integration. And I was like, hey, we're working on this thing. Do you want to help us test it? And they were super excited because we are solving their problem, because we're listening to them. And most of them was like, yeah, of course. So I was emailing to people back and forth. I was troubleshooting things. Oh, I tried to do this thing and it didn't work. Uh, this is not exactly what I expected. So we could iron a lot of things out before we release it into the wild. So it was really, really helpful to be able to just reach out to people, pick up the phone, send them an email, send them a, a survey and talk to them. You said the users are really happy to hear from you and they wanted to be involved. Why do you think that is so powerful to pull the users in and, and why that response is often more positive than maybe we expect as product managers? I think we're, I'm very lucky that I work in a product that people really like. So when I call them, they are usually quite keen to talk to me, especially if they have requested the feature before. You feel really hurt, I imagine, right? You've requested the company, oh, I really would like a QuickBooks integration. And then someone eventually calls you, hey, I, I hear you want this feature. I'm actually working on it right now. Can you help me build it in a way that works for you? So I think we're lucky that people really like the product. And we're also lucky that we work in a company that really encourages that. Everyone, I'm a product manager, but everyone at WISE is empowered to just pick up the phone and talk to people, provided they have opted into marketing research, of course. But Everybody, we expect our engineers to be customer driven, our data analysts, our designers, everyone. And everyone is really empowered to just kick off a research if they feel it's going to help them do their jobs better. That's one of the misconceptions that we see at UserLeap around user research is that oftentimes people feel like it's perhaps obtrusive or intrusive for a product manager to reach out to a customer. And it is intrusive if you reach out to maybe customers that don't ask for that integration. But like you said, the ones that actually do want it, they're going to be very motivated to work with you to ensure that it's designed in a way that works for them. And they'll also be very motivated that you ship that feature for them. And so it's great to see that you're hearing that positive response. And I definitely encourage other product managers to really lean in and be thoughtful about who you reach out to. But if you do it in a thoughtful way, like you're describing, then they usually will be really excited to jump in and think through how they can really help you as a product manager. And it creates that win-win 
opportunity where you can solve that together. It goes back to intent, right? I think if you genuinely do things because it's the best thing for the customer, it will resonate. The way we do things for ourselves as a company is we serve our customers and then by definition, we grow. People do understand if it's genuine, if I'm doing this for my customer, they're way more likely to to be open to talking to, to you. You mentioned you might hear a couple data points and you want to really expand with surveys. When do you decide when to move to surveys for maybe more of a quantitative, qualitative approach versus really keeping it purely qualitative where a few conversations might be representative and you feel comfortable moving forward? We go into more quant when we want to prioritize and when we want to size the problem, right? So if I have some customers asking for QuickBooks, but I have twice as many customers asking for something else, I would probably try to invest in something else. Or if, let's say if I had customers asking for an invoicing solution, I would try to understand, okay, how useful is that going to be to my customer base? Maybe most of my customer base is building invoices through QuickBooks. I don't know, let's say X percent. So I could only realistically address the remain, remaining of that. So we start with quant to help us quantify how impactful something is going to be. Is it the best opportunity for our team to be working on right now? And to help us prioritize. As you imagine, most tech companies are like quite fast-paced and there's always a lot to do. So you need to be very mindful with what you invest your time on. So it's a, it's a way for us to prioritize in a smart way. Is that usually a survey that you run or do you work with a user researcher on your team to conduct that survey? I often send surveys myself. But again, like I said, everybody in the team is empowered to do so. So I've had analysts come to me and like, by the way, I sent this survey and I, I found it as a better way to measure how good our new messaging on our, on our landing pages. We do have user researchers, UX researchers in some teams. I don't have one in my team right now. I'm going to get one pretty soon. But until ideally we'd have all these resources available, right? When you do, you can delegate a bit better. But I think one thing that we look for in product managers is people that are not afraid to get their hands dirty. So if it takes you picking up the phone and calling people or you putting together a survey and putting it in product, it, we expect you to be able to do this. Same thing for a designer. If a designer wants to test something, they will put something up and they will run with the testing. They will come to us like, oh, I did this testing. I talked to this many people. Here's what I found out. I remember at Weebly, some quarters I had dedicated user research available and other times there was no user research available. And so I had to go and write my own surveys and conduct my own survey analysis and that's partly why I started Userly, to make it easier for anyone to be able to conduct their own survey analysis and conduct their own surveys and do it in a way that is accessible and approachable so that even the analyst can run a survey or you as well. I'm curious if you have any recommendations for other product managers who maybe haven't approached or really conducted their own user research or surveys and what advice you might have for someone who is looking to get started. I think... Be really mindful of what you want to discover and how, and if the questions that you're asking are the right questions to get there. Because remember, there's things that people tell you and things people are feeling, and they don't even might, they might not even realize that they're feeling that. So make sure that you know exactly what it is that you want to find out. Make sure that your questions will help you get there. One thing that I really like to do when I'm talking to people is try to understand a little bit more broadly what their problems are. So in the case of WISE, a lot of people think of us as a FX provider, as the company that they use to send money or to receive money abroad. If I just ask them to tell me, what do you need? Like our NPS comments, for example, when people are requesting new features, they tend to think more about features that are related to FX and to cross-currency conversion. However, I could help them do more. I could solve other problems that they might have with their money management in their companies. 
So I always try to ask this question, okay, forgetting a little bit about WISE and about international money transfers, what are your main pain points when it comes to the financial management of your business? And I get a lot of really interesting, insightful answers to that because people get a little bit, like you force people to get a little bit out of the box that they put you in. And it can really help you think a bit longer term. Okay, this is an area for us to explore. This is an area for us to explore. So it's quite exciting question to us. You mentioned too, for QuickBooks, taking a step back is sizing the problems and then thinking through all the different opportunities that you might be able to solve as well. And so when you did decide to build the QuickBooks integration, how did you decide to turn that into a project versus perhaps other priorities that you could have also built? So we saw that it was a significant chunk of our NPS comments. So there was a significant amount of people who were asking for it. So I knew that the size of the opportunity is there. And then the next step for me to understand how big of a problem is it? Is it a massive issue that we don't offer any QuickBooks integration? Or is it like a minor nuisance? In which case, maybe I should be tackling a big, a massive issue somewhere else, right? But when I talked to people, I understood it was quite cumbersome. Like they had to download the CSP, then upload it to QuickBooks. And the, the fee split that I tried to explain a bit earlier wasn't there. So only the, the full amount living wise was there. We, we didn't have this logic that this money went to the invoice, this money went to wise. And I talked to some people who actually shunned. So they stopped using us because we didn't offer the integration with the accounting software that they were using. So like, okay, it's, it's a big enough pain to justify the investment in this project. So this is how we go about it. Just see how many people is going to affect and how much of a pain it is for these people versus other projects that you have in your, in your backlog. You mentioned as well for the QuickBooks integration that you also had a beta and so I'm curious what that was like. Was there anything that you maybe uncovered that ended up changing the product that you launched to the broader user base that you learned during that beta program? And, and what did that process look like to maybe uncover that insight? So the beta was, was really exciting. I reached out to some people who had requested it. I think I got five people to opt in and I was emailing them like almost on a daily basis until we launched. We did uncover some things that were not super, super clear, especially for people who had been doing the accounting in the old way, which is like downloading the CSV and uploading it. And then they were migrating to doing this in an automated way. It was not as seamless as we wanted it to be. So we found ways to make it easier to understand make it easier for people to know what to do, train our CS agents. So when people called customer support, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to automate it, but it's causing some duplication. Our customer support team was prepared to explain, to like walk people through. So yeah, we could remove some of the friction by, by talking to people beforehand and getting them to help us test it. Did you go back to the quantitative behavioral data post-launch to see how it was working or did you incorporate qualitative at all post-launch? I'm curious what it looked like post-launch and perhaps that data analysis process looked like? So post-launch, we, we did go back to see how many people were actually adopting the feature, how, people, how many people were discovering. And we saw that we could be doing a better job letting people know that we now offer this integration. So we're still testing and doing some experiments on this to see if we can improve discoverability and people really understanding that they can do this, this action. And jumping into, I heard you earlier mention customer centricity and what you look for. Let's say you're interviewing a product manager. What are some of the questions that you have to really understand whether that person demonstrates customer centricity and, and the values that you described at WISE? And maybe what are some anti-patterns as well around things that you know have not maybe correlated with someone who can deeply understand customer needs? So when I'm interviewing someone, one good way to look for it is how people frame problems. 
advise everything we do, all the impact that we measure is customer impact. Like what is the customer impact of doing something? Everything we do, like we frame every feature, every solution around the customer problem. Even our teams are structured around customer problems. When I'm talking to interviewing people and I ask them to tell me about something that they shipped and they're proud of or something that they shipped that was a failure, I always ask, why were you even doing this? And how you explain it, if like a good answer would be, I found that the custom problem was X and I did Y to address it. And a bad answer would be someone in my company told me to, like a senior stakeholder told me to, or it was the biggest way to get more money, to get more revenue. Because we can frame anything. Even if you say, I address this piece of tech debt because it would allow us to move faster, thus serving our customers better and having customer impact by this, is you can frame it most of the things you do around customer impact if you're actually doing optimizing for customer impact. It's looking for that problem statement. Exactly. And what is the main motivation around everything you do, right? And I also try to feel, to get an understanding of how open people are to doing customer research, especially to getting to doing customer research themselves. So we really value people who are like, oh yeah, like I sent a survey, I picked up the phone, I called people, I interviewed people, as opposed to I got an agency to help me. And because this, this takes a long time. This is not very scalable. If every time you need to do research, you need someone, create a briefing, find someone to help you, hire someone. Like, there's a lot that you can do yourself. I absolutely agree. And I think product managers, the more you can do it yourself or work closely with that user research counterpart is critical because you need to be asking those questions or be involved with that analysis to really see firsthand what the users are saying. I know you're reaching out to people directly via email. I'm sure that you're able to get much more nuanced in your analysis by asking those questions yourself and hearing from those users in their own words. Have you perhaps hired or been involved in hiring anyone who didn't demonstrate that customer centricity? And then do you feel like that's something that can be coached and taught when someone is at a company? Or is that really a hard requirement for hiring someone knowing that that's important at the Wise Company? It is definitely a hard requirement. I haven't come across, and we've been doing a lot of hiring. We've tripled insights since I joined, I believe. I don't think I've come across someone that wasn't inclined to being customer-centric. We can coach people in the how, but not it's hard to instigate that, I'll, I'll say. But everybody that works at WISE is already bought into the idea that this is important. If anything, we tell people, hey, here's how you send a survey or here's how you can you know, check if you can contact people or not. This is how to do it. But the fire needs is already there. And if you were interviewing someone and they said, I was just too busy or I didn't have enough time, do you feel like that's a valid excuse or is that really someone who doesn't value customer research and the impact? You didn't have enough time to do customer research, but you had time to build the potentially wrong feature or to solve potentially the wrong problem. I think it's it's a dangerous way to think. I absolutely agree. And, and it's something that I often see passed over or skipped over. And to your point, if you spend 12 weeks building a feature, and that customer research one week could have maybe taken you to a different direction entirely with something else on your roadmap, or maybe develop that feature in a different way. When you look at it through that lens, to your point, it is something that you shouldn't skip over ever. Otherwise, you're doing really a disservice to your team. It's an interesting thing if you think about how, how do you see failure, right? We are quite open to people failing because if, we, if you're not open to people failing, they're not going to take risks. You're not going to innovate. But we are open to informed failure. Like if someone spends 12 weeks building something and it turned out to be the wrong thing because you didn't do your due diligence and you didn't have the right problem definition, that is not good. 
if you had all the right information and based on that information, you still build the wrong thing, but the information, like it made sense. If it's a justified mistake, if it's a thoughtful mistake, like, oh, that's fine. We learned something. Let's, let's move on. Let's learn the, ne- the next thing. Let's take this learning and, and move forward. But making a mistake because you didn't talk to people or you didn't, or you had the completely wrong problem definition is, is not great. Clara, what are two areas that you're growing as a product manager right now over the next one or two years and you're really focused on leveling up? Great question. The, the exciting thing about WISE is that I almost feel like you don't need to change roles because the role changes around you. So when I started a couple of years ago, we were doing, like, I was part of the SMB teams, small medium business team, and we are helping businesses use the product. Like, very basic, like removing, allowing them to onboard, allowing them, like delivering basic functions like integration with accounting softwares. And right now, this next step really to catapult our growth is really understanding people's psychology, like their motivation. When they say they don't question the trust in a bank, but they question the trust in a fintech, like what it is that they mean about this. So really getting this super deep understanding of their intrinsic motivations is quite exciting and it unlocks a lot a lot of possibilities on, on the product side, on the marketing side, on the product marketing side. So it's quite an exciting place to be right now. That's great to hear. And it reminds me at Weebly where I move between the core and the native mobile apps and the growth team and a couple of other areas. As a product manager, it's great to be in a place that you get different exposure to different roles and different types of product areas. And that's how I found myself growing the most, which is giving the exposure. And it sounds like your team's growing very fast as well. You said triple in size since you joined. Is that right? I think so. When I joined, we were about six, eight hundred, and now we are twenty-four and growing. If I'm not mistaken, so it must be fun. Then it always new challenges every three to six months. Every yeah, it's insane. The pace is insane. It's very exciting. Wrapping up here, what is your top piece of advice for other product managers who also want to create products people love? I think to be very mindful of the things you don't know. I think the words "I don't know" are not said enough. Maybe because people are ashamed to admit they don't know something, or maybe because as problem solvers, we always try to find solutions instead of taking a step back and focusing on the problem. We all have assumptions, right? We all know, like, we assume that if onboarding is more like, easier to do, more people will convert. That's fair enough. But it gets quite dangerous when we start to assume, oh, our, our customers don't trust us because of X, or our customers don't trust fintechs. Do they really? Let's, let's talk to them and understand what is the real problem here. Maybe your assumption is that uh, they're telling, like they're complaining that you're slow because the transfer time is slow. But when you talk to people, it's like, oh no, it's because they had an issue and we had to ask for more for extra verification requirements. And that's why things were a bit slower for, for this customer. So it would be very easy to see like NPS comments, oh, someone complained that we are slow. We need to make the transfers faster. No, don't assume you know the problem. Admit to yourself that you don't have the answer to that. You need to do further exploration, get the problem right, then start working on it. I totally agree. And it's great that you're so focused on the best outcome and the best answer, even if that means that you continue to have to dig deeper to get to that response and really not taking that first answer as maybe the the end goal and the outcome. And totally agree on the advice for all the other product managers out there who are listening on creating products people love. Don't shy away from realizing you have to continue to dig and perhaps you don't know. Clara, thank you so much for joining the episode today. It was great to have you as a guest and learn about your process for building people-powered products. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to request a guest or ask a question, email me at ryan at userleap.com. And if you need a tool that helps you get customer insights easier, faster, and more accurately, check out UserLeap. After my time managing products at other companies, I wanted a simpler way to do customer research, obtain insights, and use those insights to make the right product decisions. That's why I founded UserLeap. Our microsurveys help you get in-depth user insights in real time, understand the why behind your data, and ultimately ship the right thing for your customers. UserLeap is used by product managers at companies like Square, Adobe, and Dropbox, and it's super simple to get started. Try it free or learn more at userleap.com.